Hola, amiga. I believe the only way to create a life of your dreams is by taking massive action that makes shit happen. Basically, amiga, handle your shit. Yes, I said that. Handle your shit. Stop playing small and start breaking down cultural limitations, gain back your feminine power, and become the unapologetic and unstoppable Latina you were destined to be. This show is meant to inspire, motivate, and awaken your soul's potential. You will learn from business professionals, successful entrepreneurs, and creatives that will teach you mental corrections, insider tips, success strategies, and of course, a dose of personal development. I am your host, Jackie Tapia, lawyer, transformational life coach, and entrepreneur. I am also a wife and mom to a little badass Latina. I'm obsessed with changing the Latina's mindset and breaking down cultural barriers so that you can live your best life and step into your true power and start living a life of abundance in all ways and always. Join me for inspiring conversations with thought leaders and learn how to handle your shit. ¿Estás lista? Vámonos. Hola, amigas. Welcome to Amiga Handle Your Shit Podcast. I am so excited for today's episode. This woman is truly special to me, and you'll soon find out why. Her name is Christina Tapia. Yes, Tapia is the last name. So yes, we are related. She is my sister, my baby sister, my only biological sister. She is a doctor, a medical doctor, and I really wanted her to be here with us to show us the way how we can become doctors if we wanted to be doctors, because there's not just one path to take to become a doctor. And so I really wanted her to share her story and her knowledge and how she navigated the waters to become a doctor. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about her. So Christina Tapia, Doctora Tapia, as they call her out where she's working right now, Christina's decision to pursue medicine is rooted in her unwavering sense of responsibility that she has for her community. As a daughter of Mexican immigrants, she grew up witnessing health disparities among fellow minority groups in L.A. County, learning how deep medical mistrust runs in areas where non-English speakers are the majority. She believes border populations are an extension of these medically indigent communities, which has drawn her to serve the community of Chula Vista and its surrounding neighborhoods. Prior to receiving her degree of medicine from the University of California Riverside School of Medicine, Christina's kindness and passion to serve vulnerable populations was well known. She was inducted as a gold humanism Honor Society Scholar and awarded a mini grant to fund a resource project for local at-risk populations by the UCR Center for Healthy Communities. Christina chose family medicine because of its natural role in addressing health disparities through advocacy, outreach, and education. 
Other professional interests include women's reproductive health and border health. In her free time, you will find her dancing to Spanish music or hanging out with her loved ones and adopted dog, Ivy. She also enjoys playing board games. And I'll tell you this much. She's very competitive with those board games. So I know that for a fact. So Christina, she obviously, she's my sister and I love her and adore her and I've seen her grow up and blossom to this magnificent doctor that she is now. And she's in Chula Vista. She's working the front lines. She is a at-risk worker. She's an essential worker and she's definitely on the front line there in Chula Vista. So I'm super proud of her. And without further ado, this is Dr. Christina Tapia. Hello, 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 and welcome to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. I've known her forever, literally forever, since the day she was born. This is my beautiful, wonderful, amazing sister. Her name is Christina Tapia, and the reason she's here is because she is a doctor. Dr. Tapia. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, welcome, Christina. How are you, sweetie? Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. How about you, Jack? I'm doing okay. I'm I'm doing better now that I have you here in front of me on the Zoom call. And and I know that you're going to share a lot of amazing tips for our amigas out there, all these Latinas. So let me tell you a little bit about Christina, and then she's going to fill in the blanks. So Christina is almost 15 years my junior. So my mom had her very later in life, however, which was age appropriate for a mom to have a kid. <laughs> 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 because mom, mom had me when she was 17 years old. So obviously, Christina was planned. <laughs> but you know what? I'm glad she's here and she's, she was born. And so Christina has always been this very unique, inquisitive child. And I would see her paint and draw and, and really dive deep into her studies. And that's always been the thing with her. And I really loved and and saw the way she would analyze things in a very different perspective. And I realized soon enough that uh, she was on to big pastures. And at some point in her life, she decided to become a doctor. And one of the things that I recall that I absolutely love was a moment in high school. I think it was high school. Or elementary. Oh God, I'm too old. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know exactly when this happened, but I remember <laughs> she had a project where she had to create. I think it was called like a DNA. I don't know. Christina, help me out here because I I don't know what. Yeah. <laughs> that twinkly thing. What is it called? Uh, it's, it's DNA. It's, it's putting together the nucleic uh, acids. <laughs> <laughs> so, but what, what was so super unique and very artistic, might I add, was that she used these little birds, these yellow little birds. And I thought, wow, how creative that is, that she created those little birds, these yellow birds to show some sort of DNA 
I don't know what, because I am not a scientist. I have no idea. But I realized at that point in time, I said, she's in it. She's ready. She wants it and she's going to get it. And I knew that about her. Now, there's so much I can tell you, but I really want you, Amiga, out there to understand the process of how she became a doctor in case you are encouraged to become a doctor, that you feel that it is within you to be a doctor. Because believe me, it is within us all, whoever wants to pursue that. And so I really wanted uh, Christina, Dr. Christina, to let us know what made her believe and think to become a doctor. You know, it's it's funny because like I hear you describe this story. It, it was high school. You were right. I, I remember going with mom to, to Michael's, I think, and our assignment was to do a double-stranded DNA complex. And I was like, oh, these birds are cute. And then, like, I just went with it and, like, I gathered this twig and put toothpicks. I don't know. But it worked out. I got an A. Uh, <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> that was a fun one. But I actually didn't always want to be a doctor. Like, I felt like I wanted to do science. And so for that class, that was biology, which was connected with chemistry. And just the whole profession of doctor came more so from, I mean, when you're younger, that that's what you associate that with. That's like the most common thing uh, career-wise. I mean, because there's researcher and, you know, all sorts of different scientists and things like that. But I had no idea what was out there. I just knew, hey, here's science. I like it. Here's math. I like it. I'm good at it. Let me just see how this goes. And I say that I didn't always want to be a doctor because, I mean, with, with our story, it was, I felt more deterred from it, actually. When mom had, our mother, she had an accident uh, back when I was about eight years old in 1997. And I remember being with Jackie in her bedroom back in our our old house and her getting the call that our mom was in the hospital, got flown by helicopter and her face just went white. And I had no idea that our life was going to change forever. And growing up, because I was the youngest, I was always around her and having to translate for her, for our mother. Jackie, I think, was at the time already at university on her way going with plans to go to law school. And so when I would go with mom to her doctor appointments, it just it frustrated me because I would see her in pain and I didn't feel like she was being taken seriously. And, you know, here I am like this eight-year-old and going on to nine years old, like not really understanding the ramifications of it all, but still trying to advocate for her because she wasn't, now that I'm older and I, and I know better, I remember very much like them approaching mom as if it was like drug seeking behavior. As so that the like drug seeking behavior because she was in so much pain. Right. Right. I mean, uh, she broke three of her vertebrae, which was extremely painful. She went periods without walking because she went through more than one surgery to try to fuse her back. And it's, 
yeah, here's <laughs> that was difficult, not only for me to to get them to realize you know how much pain she actually was in, but even to find out different modalities of how to help her with her pain. And to this day, she still struggles with it, limits her mobility in many ways. And it wasn't until, leave it with Dr. Perry, who was actually referred, uh, mentioned to our mom with regards to you, Jackie, of helping you, but then in a turnaround way, it ended up helping her. And then in turn around helped you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So everything is very so. synchronicity because it's a, so I don't know for, for those of you that don't know, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis back in the year 2004. And so there was some debilitation things happening for me, never to me. And so I was at that time, I think I was, I was pretty sick. And so that's how that whole thing occurred. And like always, moms, moms always put themselves last. So here they are trying to find something for me. But in the end, it had to be for mom. So and then ultimately, Dr. Perry became uh, Christina's mentor. So I wanted to make sure that people understood that you had some desire, some science desire. You knew that you wanted to help people out, especially with mom and knowing that there was this deficiency in the medical community. And so when you met Dr. Perry, it seemed like there was some sort of like, aha, this is where I need to be. So can you explain that to our listeners out there? Yeah, she approached medicine in a very different way. So Dr. Perry is a doctor of osteopathic medicine, known as a DO. DOs are trained to practice medicine in all ways that your traditional MD is, but they also learn an additional realm, which is osteopathic medicine and help people in holistic approach. And for the longest time, I thought that I only wanted to be a DO. And I mean, later on, we'll get into how that that path changed. I ended up becoming an MD, but that is what changed my approach into desiring to go into medicine for sure, because her mentorship connected with me ending up going to Ecuador on some medical missionary trip just completely changed my world. I was out camping in the rainforest and visiting places uh, that didn't have any medical care access and at the same time also going to these little towns and learning how the local physicians were treating the people. They were doing house calls. They were making vaccine campaigns. They were just making their population aware of what the local threats were to their health care. And that's when it was my aha moment in that that my traditional sense of what medicine was wasn't necessarily going to be confined to those four walls of an exam room. So the kind of doctor that I would ultimately become was completely dependent on how I wanted to practice. And so that's when it all changed for me. So I remember you going to Ecuador and as an adult, because here I am, I'm obviously this much older. I I could be Christina's mom 
Dr. Christina's mom, <laughs> <laughs> that old enough too. And I thought this would be the best thing for her. As scary as it was, because she was going into a foreign land where obviously she didn't know anybody. She didn't know anybody there. And it was just, a, I really felt in my heart and in my soul that this was going to be a monumental experience almost to the point it would be out of body. And I think it would be important for amigas out there to know, how did you get that opportunity to go to Ecuador? Because it's not like it just falls on your table, on your on your chair. So how did that happen? Uh, yeah, so it was, I didn't go until after I had graduated university. But I first came across this organization called Child Family Health International. And they're actually based out in San Francisco. And I went to university at University of San Francisco. So they had, you know, like when they have those kind of similar to like career fairs, they also had, um, you know, these just opportunities, things to do, like if you wanted to travel abroad or study abroad kind of thing. Um, but this was also one of the booths. And I remember coming across it and being like, huh, I'm going to keep that in mind. You know, there, there was this representative, we just, we got to talking, like, what sorts of things do you do? And back then I was very much motivated to do, still thinking DO with a mix of like maybe homeopathic medicine. At the end of the day, I'm still very spiritual and try to maintain that kind of intuition when it comes to practicing but I still wasn't convinced on the idea of going to medical school. I was still very much like, ah, yeah, okay. And I, I don't know if it was me trying to rebel, you know, how like we are when we're younger, like, oh, our parents want to do, the, want us to go do that. Like, no, no lo voy a hacer. A little, a little did I know that that's what I actually wanted to do, but it was something I kept in mind. And, uh, After I graduated, I spent some time working with the family at the company. And as much as I enjoyed working with them, I wasn't feeling like it wasn't necessarily, I wasn't, it's hard to say because it wasn't that I wasn't being pushed, but it, I didn't feel fulfilled. Mm, okay. And to me, that wasn't a challenge. Like I could work and work and work. And then obviously like company um, or family's company is very important to me, but it wasn't, it didn't feel right for me. And so I kept circling around to this thought of like, well, let me revisit this meta, this medicine thing. And I did. And actually initially I was, I wanted to go to Mexico And at that time, in those years, that's when we were getting like a lot of, there was a lot of bad press of what was going on and kidnappings and such. And, you know, I thought it was an exaggeration, but I kid you not, Jackie, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but it was mom and dad and myself and we were at, at dinner. 
think we were at Don Jose. <laughs> There's a plug there for Don Jose. It's a Actually, it's not called Don Jose anymore. <laughs> Rodrigo's now. Um, and I remember telling dad, like, you know, I want to do this. I, well, I want to go to to Mexico to go and do this medical missionary trip. And they weren't not completely closed off, but of course they had their worries and concerns. And I kid you not, at that very moment, dad gets a call from, I don't even know who it was, but that, that person's brother had just been kidnapped. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In that exact conversation. And so then that's That's divine intervention. I've, there's yeah. there are never coincidence, as you know, as you've done personal development, so you know you understand the whole like mind body and soul connection. So, so it was at that point you said, "Oh, okay, hell no, I'm not going to Mexico." <laughs> are you kidding me? And of course, I mean, obviously for us as a family, we would die if something were to happen to you, you know, and. And I'm, I'm glad that you picked the alternative route, which is UCR. So tell us. Ecuador. <laughs> Ecuador, and then Ecuador, you, then you came to UCR. Yeah. So I went to Ecuador. I was out there for a couple months. I mean, I still have friends that I talked to out there, and then that's when everything changed. And so when I came back, I was like, okay, let me revisit this whole medical application process, which because it takes time and a a certain knack to do it. It's not enough to just know that you need to apply to medical school. And so I was very naive back then. And that's when I first had to to really change in how I handled my shit. Yeah, because it just wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to know that, hey, there is this area online where you go and apply and you play the, pay these application fees and you write these essays and you tell them all the extracurriculars you've done. It's There's more to that. It's about networking. It's about getting in there and getting the right mentorship, getting the speaking the language even. And there is a culture to the application process and I applied more than once you know I the first time I didn't get interviews I didn't get in and that was because I applied so damn late Mm. because here I am thinking like oh well I'll just apply no big deal the whole strategy is we need to apply early to give you your best shot and just because it's literally like right before the deadline doesn't mean that they're going to get to it the application saying the college tricks don't work (laughs) nah not at all (laughs) the college tricks don't work and you know I say that I say all this now knowing more but I had no idea back then Our, our parents didn't go to school I when I would hear about like other kids in like whether it was grade school or even high school Freak. Even later on, find out that their parents had masters or, or things like that. I was like, what? Like, how did that happen? You know, because mom and dad only went like to early grade school. So I just 
whatever info I knew was just from gathering pieces here and there. I had no idea who were the key figures I needed to speak with. And so that's, that's what really made a difference in, in my career. Because once, you know, I remember speaking to your, your friend, Jeanette, who was with, works with USC and I started to learn about post-bac programs. And I knew after like having applied once and not getting in, I was like, okay, well, I need to do something differently. You know, I'm not the, the whole definition of insanity, right? Not doing the same thing without changing anything and expecting different results. Like that's not going to happen. And it's, I didn't want it to just rest on the fact of like, oh, if I'm going to apply earlier, then that's what's going to do it. It's like, no, like I had to have an honest conversation with myself, like, Nomihita, like that's not going to cut it. Yeah. Yeah. And regardless, like with reapplying, that wouldn't change my academic record, which wasn't poor by any means. It, it was fine, but it, but that's it. It was just fine. And that's not good enough. And that's okay because that allowed me the space and the time to be able to make me not only good enough, but someone that schools wanted. Yeah. And then later programs would want. So I applied to postbacs and I was also very close to maybe even going to med school right then and there, like just because I just wanted to get started. And so it came down to, all right, do I do this post back at a UC or do I go to med school and get this stuff started in, in Mexico? And I almost went to Mexico, but then I, who was it? It was junior who was like, if it's going to take the same amount of time, because in going to med school in Mexico would have still taken me, extra years because their process is a lot longer and doing post back in the U S would be a post back year and application year. And then four years of med school. So it was going to be the same amount of time pretty much. And junior was like, well, if it's going to take the same amount of time and we already know that if you are U S trained, it's a lot easier, unfortunately, which, which sucks because we have such a physician shortage you know, and we need more doctors. Not to say that it's impossible. It definitely isn't. There are many doctors that do practice internationally and come back. But I had this opportunity and I would be a fool had I take, um, taken it. And so I decided to say yes to the UC Riverside post-baccalaureate program. And what that did was it allowed me a place to really work on my academic performance. I was able to do something that I didn't even know how to do in college because now I had the guidance. Now I had someone telling me what were these tricks? How was it that all these other people were able to get into med school? How is it that all these other people were able to get straight A's. And at first I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. And then pretty like fast forward, I ended up getting a 4.0 the entire post-bac term, like the entire year. Of course. That's something, yeah, but that's something I never did. Like high school is a whole different game. College, I did fine. But the tricks 
in the post back that I should have had in university because that's a lot of people have a different background. People who have parents who are educated, you know, who or who are even doctors themselves or in the whole graduate field, they had the leg up of what to do, where to go, who to speak to. And so what I didn't know or what I didn't utilize as effectively was office hours. It's the most simple concept, but office hours, like not only did it offer me a place to make sure I was understanding concepts well enough and accurately and being able to utilize equations or had problem solving skills improved, but it allowed me this the platform to build relationships with these professors. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you need those relationships in order to secure letter of recs in order to vouch for you to get into somewhere like medical school or even nursing school or PA school, whatever, whatever you want to do, whatever graduate school, most of these grad schools require you to have letter of recs. And if you're now going to a UC, which their classroom sizes are in the hundreds, the only way to really get yourself to stand out is by getting to know the professor, right? And the space for you to do that is in these office hours. So it's like, it's not... And these are things, not not to, to just interject here, but these are things that... I would say a lot of first-generation immigrant families don't really know. They don't. They don't. And so we see other families where there's, like, for instance, like, I'm first-generation, so is Christina, but my kid is second-generation. She now has the ability to be even better than me because... I can guide her. I can mentor her. I can show the way through my connections. I can show her the way. And a lot, oftentimes, at least from our experience as first generation Mexican Americans, that is not the case because many of us, our ancestors that came to this country, came to work and not to work as a doctor because they were doctors. It was a lot of manual labor. So speaking in particular to that community, the importance of those office hours. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, office hours are important for everybody. But let's just, you know, be honest. Who's going to benefit greatly? It would be members of this kind of community that needs that extra assistance because there's there's another level of education that you're missing you know and and so to upgrade and to at least put you on the same playing field these office hours are necessary and it's not to say like I did go to some office hours in undergraduate but I, what I learned with the postback was how to use them better and to use them wisely. And the difference was that in undergrad, I'd use them more so to like help me learn something. 
so I would go in without, like, I, I would kind of review, but it wasn't like I knew this, like, well enough to do it. And what I learned, I, I said, if I'm going to do this differently and post back the world, how can I change this? How I know that office hours now, like I was on the right track, but I wasn't using them well enough. Right. The difference was that I went in with having done homework problems with having done various things. And if I got stuck, I needed to find out why. Right. Or like if I was getting concepts mixed up, I needed to find out why then and there. And so that forced me to always be on track or even ahead so that when it came down to having to do midterms, I wasn't cramming. In post-bac or even med school, I never crammed. I never had to do an all, well, I I shouldn't say never crammed. I never had to do an all-nighter. Med school, there's so much information that you can't help but you're going to cram. But I never had to do an all-nighter in post-bac or med school. And I remember my undergrad career was all full of all-nighters. Yeah. That's because I didn't know how to study. I didn't know that you learn along the way so that by the time you you're there for your midterms, you've already seen the information. And so really when you're going to study for your midterms, you are studying, you are reviewing, you're not learning for the first time. And so that's, that's a big difference. It isn't enough to just be like, Oh, I'm gonna do my homework. And that's it. I, I lo dejas. Yeah. Like you need to keep going over it and reviewing and oh my god it feels so good when it's like the night before the final and you're like oh I'm done I'm I have nothing else to learn and you just relax and you're not part of the whole like all-nighter crew in the library like I mean don't get me like those times are fun but it's not really productive right and it goes a lot further when you're just you're using those last days to just review and that all came from the fact that I needed to be more prepared for office hours right and then that translated to me getting that 4.0 yeah and keeping that up and getting those letter of recs beautiful Amigas, I am super excited to tell you about what has been brewing here at Amiga Handle Your Shit Podcast. So I've been working diligently. I've been thinking about what to do to support you out there. And I am developing a masterclass. Yes, a masterclass called Handle Your Shit and Thrive. And basically, Amiga, what I have learned throughout these years is that you have been running on autopilot and more than ever, you're being pulled into different directions. You're losing sight of your dreams and putting a pause on them. You can't afford to miss this masterclass that will help you to step into and create the life of your dreams with clarity and certainty. And so I wanted really to let you know that next year we've got some exciting things things happening. Like I said, I'm developing this masterclass that will launch um, January 26, 27, and 28. And I would love for you to join us. It's completely free. I will have three sessions. So if you can't make one, you can definitely make the other one. 
And basically, I'm going to be telling you a little bit about my four-step framework, how to handle your shit, and the four-step program that I've implemented throughout these years, not only as a lawyer, but a transformational life coach. It is very prolific. I'll actually teach you how to ask powerful questions that lead to epic solutions. How fun is that? So I'm excited for this. Would love for you to join us. It is completely complimentary. All you need to do is register. You will find the link in the show notes. And of course, you know, I'm here for you and I can't, I can't wait to see you and get to know you and let's master this. Let's make shit happen. So amigas, like I said, I'm excited. Next year is going to be amazing and I can't wait to meet you all. So the masterclass um, will be next year. And like I said, all you need to go is into my show notes and register for it completely complimentary and I can't wait to see you. So you got your letters of recommendation. So now you got it into UCR medical school and in medical school, from what I know is that you did a lot of work in the community at UCR and you even got funded. You got a scholarship (laughs) to create uh, something very beautiful in the community. And, And I really wanted for you to discuss but the two important things that you did at UCR that has allowed you to come to Chula Vista and become this amazing medical doctor. Yeah, so what also I learned while being at Riverside through the postback was how I was able to make these changes within a community because Riverside became my community. I ended up living there for many years. And something that I did we did a lot, but between the post-bac and then getting into med school, I did diabetes health coaching. And so that's when I was out at a county hospital and I had my patient panel, my bilingual patient panel, and I felt already like a doctor. And I had my patients asking me advice and I'm like, well, I'm not a physician yet I'm here to help you with this x y and z but it really opened the door to me to realize like how many inequities there are what are the disparities medicine that like deeper into it than I had already known why is it that they my patients don't already know this if they were diagnosed with diabetes like 10 years ago and so I worked with that for over a year and then I ended up teaching other health coaches and so that's still a program that exists at Riverside, but the funding one, that was, I have a friend, her name is Candice, and she used to do, be like a hot, what's it called, the crisis work line, uh, telephone persons, and so she would be the one that was getting these calls from persons who had been abused, assaulted, raped, then she um, informed me about the crisis that there, the local crisis that is here. Well, not just local, right? Because it's huge in California, but nationwide, worldwide, is sex trafficking. Right. And so then that first exposed me to that, just having a conversation. And then when I was in med school, at some point, I ended up working 
getting going through the vulnerable population selective. So there we spoke about homelessness. We spoke about needle exchange programs, and we spoke about sex trafficking. And so we had a deputy come out and talk to us about what was going on in Riverside. And then that's when it just dawned on me because originally I had, I had planned that once I was a doctor, I would either join up with Candace or another organization and be this clinician for these young girls, for these, for these boys. Um, one of the statistics, I mean, it, it varies per county, but at that time, the average age of someone who was trafficked is 12 years old. Oh, my God. That is so and, horrible. Yeah, it's disgusting. And uh, I, I would think to myself, like, well, when I'm a doctor, I'll be that doctor for them. I'll be that advocate. I will make sure that they feel welcomed and that they're not scared to, to speak to me mm-hmm. or, or anyone else in whomever I'm involved with in a clinic. But in having that discussion through the selective, the vulnerable population selective, I thought, well, why the fuck not now? Right. And it just, and I thought about it and I could, I could not sleep that night. And so I just like started brainstorming all of these ideas. And the next day I had told one of my mentors, one of my preceptors at a rotation like about this. And one of the ideas was to do an escape pack. So it would be filled with supplies that a victim turned survivor would have when they wanted to to get out of the life right and of course I was just like intimidated and, and overwhelmed by like what it would mean and what I would need I'm like because I would need not only support from the community but this was a whole different area that I had no network in whatsoever and like I told my preceptor, I was like, well, who am I to start this? I'm like, I don't know anyone. And she just straight up looked at me. And Dr. Ose, she just was like, girl, look at you. You are a badass. <laughs> of course you can do this. <laughs> don't sell yourself short. And I was like, <laughs> awestruck because I'm just like, what? Well, it's, like, it's usually that much <laughs> telling you that, oh, no, you can't. Why, why me? No, I'm not worthy. I'm not, I'm not enough. I don't, I don't have that knowledge. And <clears throat> but when it comes from the heart and your soul and your convictions, anything is possible. So I know, fast forward, you got this clinic up and running and you had this, you had these packs given to so the patients. We, the, the clinic is a future idea. These packs, I just happened to come across a poster from the Centers of Healthy Community sponsored by UCR of a call to action of people to submit their their proposals on doing a project in the community. And I, I was like, okay, like, I, I hear you. I hear you, God. Okay, I'm going to apply. I applied and... 
and I got it. And so then that's what started it off. And we were able to work with, it became a we because it ended up being a huge project after that. And so it's these packs that are um, supposed to be supplied within the emergency room to these two identified victims, right? And with COVID, that kind of put pause on things, but we're well on our way to getting that all into action. But then that opened the door into helping this community out here in San Diego, which is actually like the worst affected community of the highest density of victims out here. And so that's, we're taking it a step further and going to go into schools and, you know, I'm blessed to be in a program that is providing me that support and be surrounded by other residents who want to do that as well. Right. Oh, well, that's, I mean, it started off with that idea back then and now it's just going to be huge. And I know that to be true because just knowing who you are, Christina, and how the tenacity in your heart, it's very kind, always willing to help out. And um, I'm super proud of you, Dr. Christina. And, you know, I, I think that you would touch upon, you know, down in the San Diego County area and where you're at right now as a medical doctor. And, and you touched about a little bit on the whole COVID affecting this as well. Now, I'm sure everyone out there wants to know, what do you see? What do you think it would be the, not, I mean, I guess not the best, but what do you feel that we as members of the community can do to avoid getting COVID or help someone who has COVID? Like what advice do you have? Well, besides being a doctor, the first time advice is uh, our, our family got affected by it. And, and then there's a lot of resistance out here about not wearing a mask. And a mask plays a big difference. And I know people are tired of hearing that and tired of wearing one. And there's these beliefs that it's, you know, interferes with your oxygenation and all that. It's like, no, that's not it. And that's not the point. And to not wear one is really to be selfish against mankind it's because by wearing one you have no idea if you have it and say you cough or sneeze or if people spit when they talk you know that mask would cover it so wearing a mask definitely especially when you're out and about in public um people are gonna gather and especially as since it's been such a long time going through this, if once you're mixing different households, if you're going to lunch with someone, wear a mask, then even, you know, you take it off for you to eat. But even when you're talking, wear a mask. Um, because it doesn't matter if there's only like three people with whom, whom you are with. If you don't live together, then that's three entire households. Washing your hands regularly. And there is a right way to wash hands. So just, you know, YouTube, World Health Organization or CDC washing hands and watch that video because it's far more intricate than people first realize. So those are like the main things you can do. If you have a loved one who does have COVID, like uh, Jackie and, and my our father did, 
our mom did. And then I ended up getting COVID and I'm super safe. Like I, I had my mask and I had my, my shield on and I still got it. And it's like, well, you know, Christina, you just said that that's to help us and to, you know, that that's going to protect us. Yeah, it would. And I bet you, I probably would have gotten it worse or even earlier had I not, but it only works when everyone's doing their part. And unfortunately, like I, there was a lot of teaching going on, but so no, and they're not doctors. Yeah. <laughs> they're not, used to I mean, well now we, yeah. everybody is, I guess. And I mean, I, I ended up catching it from them. So I'm glad to know that it wasn't me because I was away. I only went out there to help them. And so that's when I ended up getting it myself. But they need, if you have a loved one who has it, they need to be quarantined. And if they're in the same household as you, then isolated in a completely different room. And it's for your safety as well. And that's okay. And it's only temporary. And it will pass but the importance to keep one another safe and even if it feels like a cold covid can take the form of all sorts of different things that's why they say even asymptomatic people meaning people that don't display symptoms can still give it to other people like you never know you, you won't know until you even if you get tested that's when you can say oh that's what i have or don't have so if you feel sick you stay home. You don't go out to visit anyone. You don't go out and walk. You just quarantine and you take care of yourself by taking care of others. And you do that by keeping space. If you feel like you're sick, and, well, let me up. If you feel like you're really sick, you're having a hard time breathing, then that's when you should go to, into the ER. When I went to go first see dad, he wasn't at that level yet, but I made sure he had a, a pulse ox. Um, or, well, he had already had one, and so I taught him how to use it. And that's the little contraption that goes on your finger to check your oxygenation. But more than that, just clinically, meaning like when dad was, I, I told him, if you're having a hard time breathing, like even when you're sitting and you can't really talk, that's when you go to the hospital. And that's how fast this thing can change because one day to the next, that's where he hit. And then that's when he ended up in the hospital for quite a while. Right, right. It was a very scary time. And for those of you out there that are around people who have been afflicted by it, know that there are proper measures to take and just make sure that you alert those around you if you have it and and, you know, this is a community. We're supposed to take care of one another. And so thank you so much, Christina, for that that piece of advice. As we are ending our call, I really, as I always do, I always ask my, my guests if they could share with us at least one or two hacks or tricks on how an amiga can handle her shit. So what would you say would be yours? Don't be afraid to ask for help. Because, I mean, guys, I needed. <laughs> I wouldn't be. <laughs> I wouldn't be here today if I didn't ask for help or reach out to the people or even took, like, put my pride aside to to take people up on their offers. You know, 
And like it has been mentioned before about mentorship and seeking people out. If there's something you want to do, there's someone's find someone who has had a similar path and reach out to them. And if they're super busy, then you reach out to them again. Sin vergüenza, like you just ask. <laughs> some people, yes. Yeah, like don't yeah. feel embarrassed or, or guilty. Like, oh, I don't want to. Yeah. I, you know, we, every, we want to pay it forward. We want to be able to help others. And we need more amigas, more amigos out there. The current Latinx population in California who are physicians is about 4% right now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's huge. And even if you're not a, you know, of Latin descent, because I know Jackie has listeners from all sorts of backgrounds, learn another language, learn Spanish. Spanish is, is big right now. And especially in the healthcare community, we need more Spanish speakers. So handle your shit by asking for help so that you can get help to handle your shit. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Once once you learn and get that tip of how to get things going, then you do it for yourself because no one's going to do it for you. You can learn how, but unless you put in the work, it's not going to get done. Right, right. And that goes like, you know, I was asking my partner, I'm like, well, what's something I could share with with Jackie's listeners? And they said, they're like, well, when your alarm goes off, you get up, like, no problem. (laughs) I think that is a popular thing, Christina. (laughs) Yeah, but like, yeah, so don't snooze. You got stuff to do. You just start doing it. You know, you, you plan your day out. That helps you handle your shit. If you're going to procrastinate, do uh, <laughs> productive procrastination. <laughs> so that's like, that's I don't know. Yeah. Like make sure your stuff is in on time. If not sooner than like don't apply to med school the last day or something like that. <laughs> but like if it's, you know, an assignment, to do and you just need a break then do something productive with your time clean cook do a hobby I took up plants like I now have a bunch of plants around my house so it's do some yeah yeah learn what makes you happy do what you need to do ask for help and make every day count Go with your intuition. Yeah. I think uh, I think as women, we have been truly blessed to have that sixth sense, that intuition. Men have it too, but they're not fully aligned with it. And I think as women, we are, and we become distrustful of it. And I feel that it is a very important point to say out there is that if your gut is telling you something is off, probably is more likely than not if your intuition is telling you this is right listen to it lean into it don't be afraid of it Mm -hmm. absolutely when something sparks joy find out why don't just be like oh this feels nice like 
why is it that you feel good about doing something? Yeah. Be more in, 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 as opposed to exterior, bring happiness in, inside. I mean, I, and I, you know, we don't have any more time, but I remember, I know that you've delved into personal development and, and it's one of the cornerstones of being aware, fully aware and fully aligned is really digging deep, not so much on the outside, but more inside. And so I think that's an important note to also make, you know, when following intuition is going in deep, really deep. Oh yeah. You're going to find wounds you didn't even realize you had that you carry with you and it's okay to cry. You know, I would cry when going in deep like that and, but it helps you get through it by far. Yep. And it's rooted in there for a reason, but you can't blossom until you water those roots, right? Ooh. Well, on that note, (laughs) we're going to close out. Thank you so much, Dr. Christina, my sister. (laughs) No problem. You're welcome. Thank you so much, everyone out there. Uh, You can certainly find her on Instagram and all that information will be on my show notes. And I can't wait for you all to listen to this episode and share every information. All right. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I love you. I love you more. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Amiga Handle Your Shit Podcast. If anything resonates with you today, please share it with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to share it on Instagram, Facebook, and other social media platforms. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at www.amigahandleyourshit.com. Thank you so much for listening. Gracias y hasta la próxima.